Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large Podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying reading, listening, and uh, I hope you're all staying safe right now. If, uh, if you don't have uh, a mask on when you go out, I really would ask you to do so. I would never make it mandatory, but please do that just for your, for your own self and for everybody around you. Please wash your hands. Today, I am very excited. I have uh, met a very new friend through a mutual acquaintance who has been more than kind to sit down for an hour and chat with me about a topic that I've wanted to talk about for quite a while. I, I've had a hard time finding somebody who's really willing to be open and, and brave to talk about this. So I'd, like, I'd really like to welcome Greg Ellis. He is the lighting designer for Pretty Lights. Thank you so much for making time to chat with me today, Greg. Thank you. So I want to start this one by letting everybody know that I recently watched a documentary on Netflix. And basically, the idea is that psychedelics can help in the artistic process. And it was really easy for them because they were all celebrities and they were, uh, you know, entertainers. And they could talk about that because, you know, they're not really employees of anybody or anything like that, but they're, they're, they're also artists. And I, and I thought to myself, like, this has to be happening in, on our side of the industry as well, because we're also creative. We're also selling our art. We're also putting ourselves out there to be judged. And, and I, I kind of reached out to a couple of friends and uh, your name came up and I'm, I'm re- really thankful that you're willing to sit down and chat with me. Do you find that psychedelics have aided your art form i mean yeah, aided would be an understatement i think <laughs> um, before before we dig too deep into that i would just like to say that there was no greater moment watching that documentary than seeing carrie fisher uh expose herself both physically and metaphorically Yes. Um, and when I was watching that and, and seeing, honestly, the joy in her face retelling those stories is a big reason why I think, you know, obviously this opportunity coming up was, was the timing was amazing, but also seeing somebody like that, you know, comfortable enough to, you know, to go down that road. It's like, all right, let's do this. Let's, let's be open. Um, let's break down some of the walls that exist around this. Um, and so with that being said, uh, yes, psychedelics very much have aided me in my creative journey. Um, and the biggest, the biggest aspect of that is sort of breaking down the walls. When you're a creative person, um, there are so many things that influence you 
in a negative way, um, whether it's oh, whether absolutely. budget restrictions, whether it's creative differences with your artist, whether it's the fan base's expectations. There's so many aspects that you have to be mindful of. And you can force yourself into certain avenues. Um, but in all reality, your ego will always get in your own way. And one of the great aspects of psychedelics is the destruction of your own ego. And so very early on, like, and here's the thing, I was taking psychedelics before I became a lighting designer. So I'm not going to say that like, uh, they made me a better lighting designer, but they, they did. But the, the explore, the explorative process began way before I, I, decided to make this my profession i guess mm -hmm. but, so let's kind of go into your very first experience and which was clearly long before you even thought you were going to be a, a lighting professional well it was at a very very small music festival in upstate new york called grandma jones spring fling um it was it, uh, around this little lake in Afton, New York. And uh, my best friend, who's also in the industry, uh, Phil Salvaggio, he's the uh, production manager for Pretty Lights. He started a management company. Um, he used to be in a band when we were in high school and college. And uh, so this, um, we're talking, you know, maybe, maybe 1,500 people. That's, you know, it's one of those good old fashioned upstate New York backwoods festivals. And um, I ate a bunch of mushrooms. And the only thing I remember from the entire experience was I must have done about 20 laps around this lake that was on the festival grounds. And all I was doing was chasing the moon. And it was this big, bright, beautiful full moon. And it's literally the only thing I remember. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you about any of the performances. I couldn't tell you about any of the other circumstances that surrounded it. All I remember is literally with my head pointed straight up and just walking around this lake for hours, just chasing the moon. And it was profound to say the least, but it's, it's something that's obviously stuck with me 20 plus years later. I can't think of a better way to spend an evening to be honest. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. Music oh. in the background, yep. walking around a lake in the, in the moonlight, <laughs> head up, chasing the moon. That sounds so <laughs> peaceful to me. It was, it, was, it was peaceful, but at the same time, it was like also extremely, uh, it was, there was a frenetic nature to it also because people are coming and going. And so like all of, you know, there's all of this energy around you and being able to simultaneously, you know, absorb that energy, but also at the same time deflect it is this very interesting thing that happens when you're, when you're on psychedelics, where it's like, you're kind of the master of your own destiny, but then you're also in the back seat and all like, there's so many duplicitous events occurring. And so being able to kind of um, strap in and enjoy the ride for what it is, never forcing it, is a big part of, of successfully taking psychedelics. Mm -hmm. um, and so like never, never feeling over or trying not to feel overwhelmed, um, you know, allowing things to kind of 
take shape however they will um, makes makes it for a much more enjoyable experience, but also a much more profound experience also. Yeah, I, I, I would imagine you really have to embrace the paradoxes of life. You have to realize like, I'm, look, I'm infinite and I'm finite at the same time. And there's so much you have to take in and put out. And I would imagine that it just kind of opens yourself to realize that this is all just beautiful. And that all we have to do is just recreate the beauty that already exists. So I, I, you know, for me, the beautiful things that come from psychedelics are almost in a weird way. They're like the, the, the things that you see every day in your life, but the perspective, the new Mm. perspective that you develop for them. There's one time when I was, when I was in college and I had, I had eaten too many mushrooms. So in my early days, <laughs> my early days in my teen years, I was it was very much just mushrooms. And then somewhere around like 19, 20 years old was the first time I had eaten LSD. And we'll 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 dive into that a little bit more, but I just want to preface it by saying that I think for anybody who's exploring, I think mushrooms is a good way to start. They're natural, they're a little bit more mild per se as long as you pace yourself Mm -hmm. Um, and so but there there's another very specific experience that i remember um in the early days of all of that was um on uh i was going to school in stony brook university and i was on campus and i had eaten too many mushrooms and i got really 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 fucked up to the point where I, I jumped into this pond that was on our campus to chase after a Frisbee and I had all of my shit in my pockets. And so when I got out, um, I had this really nice leather wallet that my, uh, my mother had given me for my birthday or, or something or whatever. And I was really bummed out that the, the wallet had gotten wet. And um, in my altered state, I thought it would be a good idea to put the wallet on the grill to dry it out. Okay. Not a good idea. Uh, nope, that's a bad idea. Destroy it, um, but so there was all of this kind of like you know it was it was an anxiety laden trip, but what came out of it was the next day when I woke up in the morning because I because like it was one of those day trips so we, I went to bed early I was in bed by like ten o'clock or something right and right. I woke up I woke up at like five o'clock in the morning and I was just like up and I was like ready to go I felt energized so I went outside. For, and I remember the sunrise, like it was just, it was just as like the sky was, you know, starting to turn blue. But as the sun crept up over the trees, I had never seen the trees so green before. And they were trees that I had seen every day for the last, however, eight months. But that morning, after this very intense experience, I had never seen trees that green before. And it was this just very like, and I just kind of sat there and I took it in for like 10 minutes. And it was kind of at that moment when I realized, I was like, all right, last yesterday was very odd, but there's still something to be learned even from, and I would, I would never say that it was a bad trip. It was mm-hmm. just an odd trip, you know, it just, it wasn't the pleasant, like, you know, right. It was, there was a, a lot of intense things happening and like, and, uh, but, but as I came out of it, it was just like, you know, it stuck with me. And that was when I kind of realized, I was like, okay, 
no trip, no two trips are the same. Uh, mm-hmm. There's not really such thing as a good trip or a bad trip. It's how you manage every experience and what can be essentially a bad trip can result in good things. Mm-hmm. And so that that's when it, that's when my mind really kind of opened up more to the uh, pushing the limits of it, I suppose. And what led me to then beginning my journey down the road of LSD. <laughs> right on. That story is a perfect example of why the stigma needs to be broken down because from an outside observer, they're like, look at Greg, man. The, the, the guy grilled his wallet yesterday when he was high. <laughs> what they don't see is like Greg just saw trees for the first time in his life. And if it comes down to seeing trees for the first time in my life and all it cost me was a grilled wallet, yeah. I'm down. That, okay. is, that is well within, I, I'm willing to make that negotiation. I'll make that bet or that deal a hundred times. Like, ah, oh, I lost a wallet to see trees for the first time. Yes. Sign me up again. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it, to your point, it's a weird thing when you witness, especially if you're not, on that journey with that person, you know, from the outside looking in, it can be very off-putting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you do have a limited control of yourself, both physically and mentally. Um, right. And, you know, you can hide it. I think we think over time you get better at hiding it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and that's if you want to hide it. That's the thing. Yeah. So yeah. like, when you're just on college campus and you're surrounded by a bunch of drunk idiots, like who gives a fuck? Like, let's just go out and be wild. Yeah. Uh, I was sitting in central park. It'd be a very different story. (laughs) Yeah. I'm high. Let's go touch some people's faces if they, if they want me to. And if they don't, I'll I'll go find somebody who does want me to touch their face, you know? (laughs) So in your story, it didn't say that you, you didn't say that you had researched it or anything. You just, it sounds like somebody made an offer and you're just like, well, yeah, let's, let's try that. I'm assuming that you didn't, yeah, you didn't look into the matter at, at all first. I mean, uh, I've. It's funny because I was never a technically savvy person. So, like, with the dawn of computers and the dawn of the internet, they were never an asset to me until I became a lighting designer. Right. Um, I was very much, you know, I'm, I'm 36 now. So, like, I remember the first you know, like internet and those kind of things. And it never interested me. So like Google searching or, or at the time, I guess it would have been Yahoo or whatever the case, it never occurred to me. Um, it was always just like, I was always out in nature anyway, or like playing basketball with people. So like, I was very much like an outdoor person. So uh, research was never really uh, at the front <laughs> of my mind. Right. So, yeah, I mean, when, when those things were introduced to me, it was just, it was from people that I trusted. They were like, you're going to enjoy this if you do it right. It's like, cool. Put this in your mouth. Let's go. <laughs> Let's give it a shot and see what happens. And that's always kind of been my mindset with life in general is I'm willing to try anything once. Right. For the most part. Now that, that list has been whittled down tremendously as I've gotten older and wiser. Um, and there are some things that I will never try now. 
you know, just from life experience and seeing what it does to other people. But when you're, you know, 17, 18 years old, you don't have that life experience. And so if there's ever a time to just say, sure, let's see what happens. That's it. And then you just hope that it works out for the best, which for me, it did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think uh, shortly after that, there was a lot of people kind of supporting the narrative that if you do it even once, you could go insane, go insane. This is your, this is your brain on drugs. And, and I'm sure that's very true about some other things, but it's not in my experience. And uh, I should probably take a second to mention that neither of us are doctors. Neither of us are medical professionals. We're just talking about our own unique experiences here, but you know, it's, it's not, it's not the case in the vast, vast, vast majority of cases. It's really, just a, a, an expansion well, I, of the mind. I think I think a lot of that, because now that I've gotten older and I am sort of ingrained in that culture, um, I have done more research and I have learned more about like the CIA experiments in the 50s and those kind of things. And I think one of the, that all of that mentality is a carryover from that time. Mm-hmm. And I think what ended up happening is, is like, there were these experiments happening. It's, it was a new thing. So people didn't understand what like dosages were correct dosages or like what, or how to like manage the transference of it. And so I think what you saw in the, in the, in the early days, especially for LSD in the fifties and sixties, what was people taking tremendous amounts of LSD for their first time. And I could totally understand that causing a mental breakdown. If I ate a hundred hits of acid, what we consider a hundred hits, right? My first time, I probably would never do it again either. And I would probably think that something very bad happened to me. But, you know, as we've grown as a society and as, as the experiences of people has helped to kind of craft it into a much safer and much more user-friendly way those those aspects you know are very archaic Mm -hmm. and 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 i think a lot of that goes to the fact that you know for 50 years you know the government and a lot of um uh schools and whatever just kind of like you know turned away from it and now it's nice to see that people are starting to explore uh the benefits of both lsd and psilocybin Mm -hmm. um, from a medical standpoint, from a, from a, um, a psychiatric standpoint, um, you know, we'll see what happens, you know, as these studies, you know, further, but it's, it's now become very much at least, you know, if you do the, if you do the research, you can see that it's not this ugly monster that's going to destroy your life. <laughs> uh, you're not going to go jumping out of a window or anything like that. You're not going to, yeah, you're not, you're most likely shouldn't be driving. But uh, definitely shouldn't be driving. Although I shouldn't say, be driving. I will say that I've driven across this beautiful country multiple times <laughs> in my in my early twenties when you can get away with that shit. Yeah, <laughs> that's, not, that's not that's not for real. But it is. <laughs> <laughs> just to be just so that we're perfectly clear, Greg does not support driving while intoxicated. <laughs> So in fact, let's, let's take a moment about that. Let's talk about the environment that you're in because outside at a festival sounds like a really safe place to me. 
especially modern festivals where they they're they're prepared for it there are actually people there to help guide you there's people there to make sure that you come back to safety when you need to what sort of environment do you prefer when you uh when you partake all right so i'm gonna i'm gonna preface this by saying that after nearly two decades of experimentation and really truly kind of learning myself you know through the use of psychedelics i i mean there's nothing greater than going to a fish show high on lsd i'll be the first one to admit it in fact giff our mutual friend who kind of helped put this all together um andrew giffen who's uh corotas programmer um learned not that long ago that i'm pretty much high on lsd at every fish show and with that being said i will check in at front of house either before the show or during set break and i will have these incredible conversations with gif and i will break corotas balls all the while on lsd and for the longest time gif had no idea that i was on lsd and then one day, and then one day he he I must have just said I was like oh man I'm like I I think oh actually I know exactly what it was we were at the gorge, <laughs> this is actually a really funny story, so, uh, GIF is still focusing he's updating his his position focuses after doors, because they had gotten in late or something right and so you know how the sun sets behind the stage, and so he's having just the most miserable time trying to update these positions. And uh, so I'm, I actually grabbed like a piece of paper or a notebook or something, and I'm using it as like a, as like a visor for him. So he can like kind of see the stage and I'm holding it there. And then at one point, as the sun finally starts cresting over the gorge, the whole sky just blew up and I had to put the thing down. And I was like, Gif, I need you to give me five minutes. I was like, I'm fucking tripping so hard. And this is the most beautiful sunset. And he, and he just looked at me and he's like, wait, what'd you say? And I was like, you heard me. I am fucking faced and I need to enjoy this sunset for five minutes. He's like, hold on a second. He's like, he's like, you're telling me, he's like, you've been up here for 30 minutes helping me with this whole disaster situation and you're high on acid. And I was like, Giff, I'm high on acid every time you see me. He's like, no, you're, he's like, we have all these amazing conversations. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I've been doing doing this for a long time. So I, I know how to like, kind of, you know, put myself together for 20 minutes while I come and say hi to you guys. And then the minute I leave front of house, I'm a complete fucking nutcase again. But I can, you know, I can manage the situation. And that takes time and experience to be able to really kind of like confidently know that you're going to walk into the front house of this band, like, you know, and, and be able to put, you know, keep yourself together. Now, um, you know, with that being said, it's, for me, that is a great story. There is no uncomfortable situation per se. There's no, uh, okay. I, I enjoy being in my lab in a dark room by myself for eight hours, just as much as I enjoy being at an amphitheater surrounded by 20,000 people. The circumstances aren't as important to me anymore as much as like okay. what, what my intentions are for the situation. I think that's like the biggest thing. So like if you're just going, like if, if, if you're only, um, if you're only looking to have fun, 
on LSD, right? Because there's lots of different there's lots of different ways you can treat these experiences. You know, you can you can you know look inward, or you can you know help you know with the creative process, or you can uh, you know meditate, or you can go party, or you can just experience nature. There's so many different ways and so many different avenues to um, to utilize psychedelics in a positive way. So it's really the more important aspect are your intentions, in my opinion, than your surroundings. Okay. If you have the right intentions based on your surroundings, then it's, it can be a positive experience. Interesting. So what is uh, what would be a good intention? Like, how do you... How do you focus your trips? Well, that's, I mean, that's the thing. And I know that's a completely subjective question, but. Yeah, it's, you know, so, okay, so here's a, here's a great example. I think music obviously plays a very big role in the use of like, the auditory uh, enhancement, if you will. So like, if I'm, if I'm in my lab, right? I, I probably won't play fish because fish correlates to that other experience right and so it i'll play more introspective music so whether it's like radiohead or um or even like elliot smith right where it's this like very like somber um singular type of music okay and that, and that kind of creates the atmosphere to progress down down whatever road it is that you're trying to go down right and so for me like I wouldn't eat acid at an Elliot Smith concert if he was still alive, but I love to listen to Elliot Smith when I'm in a dark room by myself, high on acid, exploring lighting, even though the music has nothing to do with the actual lighting that's happening. It's more about just like creating the mindset of like where I'm going to go. And then as things kind of like settle in, then you can kind of open up the doors to like the different things that are happening, but like, but to like kind of like the precursor to it all, I guess. Right. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So it sounds like you are so well experienced that you can kind of, you can even have a, a soundtrack to your trip, a positive soundtrack. Yeah. There's definitely different things for different scenarios, you know? So it's like, um, if I'm out in nature, like the camping trip kind of thing, like the Grateful Dead is, is amazing for that. Like I just, in my mind, when I hear the Grateful Dead, I think of dancing through the forest, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know. You know? Um, and then like, <laughs> if, if it's, if it's, if it's meant for me, right. And that's, and that's like the big thing that I was kind of trying to get to, right. Where it's like, if you are doing this alone, versus with an audience whatever the case whether it's with friends or in an audience or in public or whatever the case may be right i think there are ways to kind of um i don't want to say trick your mind because that's not the right word but like Mm -hmm. but you're kind of like coerce kind of encourage you're you're yeah you're encouraging yourself to kind of fall into the search into the situation that you are putting yourself in and so when you can relate different types of music or different artists to those like emotions that kind of go with that. Right. So it's like, if you're sad or if you're alone or if you're feeling jubilant or whatever, right. You use that music to accentuate those emotions that kind of encapsulate 
that circumstance. Okay. And, so speaking of intentionality, has it ever come up to where you're doing a programming a show or a song or something you're like, I got nothing. I am just tapped on creativity. My imagination has run out. I'm going to do a little upper. I'm going to uh, do some mushrooms and I'm going to solve this problem. Has that ever been a, a part of the process? Well, it's a huge part of the process, but now there's been a very big change in my process in the last six years or so. Um, now this is specifically speaking with pretty lights. Um, okay. other artists that I work with, um, this does not apply. Okay. Um, this being my longstanding kind of main focus, uh, project, um, in the early days, you know, we were very much a straightforward kind of, I hate to use the term EDM because it's, it is, but it isn't, it's, it's hip hop. It's, it's actually very psychedelic music in its own right. Um, but we, from a, from a lighting standpoint in the early days, it was at least to some degree Q based that kind of went out the window about five or six years ago because we were starting to open up the possibilities of the show and one of the big one of the big issues that I was confronted with with how big pretty lights got how quickly was also that it didn't it wasn't big everywhere so we would go from playing an arena one day to a theater the next day to like some goofy fucking warehouse the next day right and our even when we were touring our rig wouldn't fit the same way in all of these different rooms, right? Like, so like there was an A, a B, a C, a D, an E, and an F rig, you know, on some of these tours. And then, right. and then you would go do this other festival where you would just throw it all out the window. And I just got tired. I got so sick and tired of making concessions based on these elaborate programming ideas. And then having like, you know, having a good show one day and then having a bad show the next just because half the rig wasn't there or because this thing was over here and that was over there. And I just, I got so fed up with the whole process that I literally just threw all of it out the window and developed a very, very rudimentary, just preset based playback system where I could improvise every show and get exactly what I wanted out of the rig. And it took, it took a few years to develop this. Now, when I say a punt page, it's a pun page like you've never seen before. There are so many tricks, so many things going on, this, that, what have you. But what it basically, what I was empowered by was kind of the psychedelic journey. And then also kind of exploring how can we, as a specific presentation, stay true to that presentation while also being unique on a nightly basis. Because growing up as a jam band fan, you want to see and hear different things every night. Right. And so I kind of took, I embraced that mentality from a major touring act and took it to the moon basically. And just kind of, I let go of all of the perfection and all of these overly, you know, contrived ideas and just, threw it all out the window. And I was like, every day when I walk into the venue, whatever it is, I literally, I walk into a room and I literally just take all of it in and I look around me and I try to just 
very quickly just kind of make these mental notes of like, all right, tonight, you know, whether it's like high trim, low trim, if you're outdoors, if it's windy, if it's cloudy, blah, 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 this thing, that thing, whatever. Right. And I'm like, all right, so tonight's going to be this kind of show or tonight's going to be that kind of show. Right. You know, cause like for us, you know, it's a big light show. It's a big laser show and it's a big video show. Right. So uh-huh. they, they can in this ideal world all coexist, but why should they, why not accentuate one thing over another? you know, from night to night. Mm-hmm. And so instead of trying to force all of these things, I just, I just gave in. I gave into the circumstances of every night. That sounds liberating. It really was. It really was. But it took a lot of experimentation, a lot of exploration to figure out ways to masterfully make it look like a Q-Stack show without having a single written in the show (laughs) nice and so there is where the psychedelics really come into play because how do you sit there and and program for six months and never write a cue (laughs) you see amazing (laughs) and so (laughs) there were a lot of long nights and a lot of and a lot of different techniques kind of derived out of out of these sessions where it would be like okay tonight i'm gonna listen to nine inch nails for six hours high on acid and i'm gonna and i'm gonna record a page of ideas right and then from those ideas and then and then the next night it would be like all right now we're gonna listen to the grateful dead for six hours and then the next night we're gonna listen to cigarettes for for six hours right and so we would I would, I would basically just take all of the different artists that I loved, right? And I would run the shows, right? We would have this like preset page, right? And then I would move certain ideas around to the next page. And I kept moving things around and moving things around, right? Until finally, I kept whittling it down to where I wasn't moving things anymore. And then, and so no matter what the genre of music it was, right? So then all of a sudden, there, if, if, it literally became one page where no matter what band I was doing lights to in my previs or what style of music, it always worked. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Man, that is something that so many people should aspire to. That is, that takes a lot of effort and a lot of brain power right there. And a lot, you know, and not for nothing, a lot of LSD. <laughs> Man, that is, that, is, uh, that is probably the best answer I could have asked for for that question. That is, that's a perfect example of what it takes to get to that level of, and it sounds so simple, but the complexity required to make it that simple for you is astounding. You know, I used to, we used to have these conversations where it was like, you haven't programmed anything, right? Because like people will come and they'll look at my show file, right? And it's like, you know, it's broken up by fixture types or by group types, right? And it's like, you have your colors, you have your positions, you have this thing, you have that thing, right? They're like, where are your looks? There aren't any. I don't need them. I make them live. And they're like, well, that just sounds lazy. I'm like, well, you have no idea how much programming it took to be able to accomplish this show without a single look. Like the I could tell you right now on the surface of it, right? It, it does sound lazy. Like if you just looked at my show file, you'd be like, well, this is fucking stupid. 
right? But it's how you use it. And uh-huh. it probably took me three times as long to program that file than any person who has programmed a Tor in the history of time, <laughs> you know, because there was so <laughs> much that went into it and so much thought and so much care. But now here's the beautiful part about it. That show file hasn't changed in three years. It doesn't have to. The only, wow. the only thing that changes are some of the goofy things, right? So it's like, well, now I don't even really use like profiles anymore. Like I use like some, I, I use wash lights and I use some other like special effects lights, but so there aren't really, excuse me, gobos in the show anymore. So I don't really have to update that shit. Um, everything that I do is LED based. It's all RGB additive, this, that. So whether it's lighting, lasers, video, everything kind of gets treated the same way. So that way from a like, um, from a very uh, basic color, you know, theory approach, right? Everything mm-hmm. this in the same, on the same plane. Um, it was one of those things that I started to struggle with as LED lighting became more prevalent, you know, that, you know, CMY versus RGB. It was it, in my mind anyway, and I don't know if anybody else can attest to this, but it was this very uh, difficult struggle to like have those coexist harmoniously um, just from like a, I don't know, I don't know if it was just like some weird hang up that I had or whatever it was, but the first opportunity that I had to ditch CMY fixtures and I fuck color wheels and forget about it. I, I mean, I had toured with Sharpies for like two years and I was like, I'm never doing this again. So we'll just throw that out the window. But like, for some reason, I just would always get hung up with this like CMY versus RGB. And I know you can invert the encoders and blah, blah, blah. It was so much more than that. It was additive versus subtractive. It was like seeing white, seeing black, all these things. And I, and I don't know if that's one of those kind of like uh, side effects of, you know, psychedelic use is this like you get hung up on these stupid little things that don't necessarily matter. But for some reason in your head, they matter more than everything else. <laughs> <laughs> So what you're kind of describing to me, it sounds a lot like the, the dissolution of an ego where when people come up, they're like, why don't you have like a hundred thousand cues? Like, uh, this other rock show doesn't, doesn't more cues mean better or like, why don't you have a thousand fixtures profiles and gobos and stuff? Doesn't, doesn't more mean better. And for you to be able to say like, no, no, better means better. Yeah, exactly. I've, you know, I, it's funny you say that, right? Because so in the early days of pretty, I don't know how familiar you are with like the pretty lights, bass nectar, that whole like kind of like hippie EDM crossover world that kind of blew up over the last 10 years. But um, yeah, in the early days, there was, we, we used to joke about this. We used to call it the arms race because we, it was basically us it started as us and bass nectar right our two camps we were very much on this like you know parallel track and you know we would come up with some crazy idea and then they would try to one-up us and then we would try to one-up them and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and i was just like this is going to be too goddamn much to the point where there we uh, We did a tour where we added a bunch of live musicians and it was like a very like it was like an old school big band approach we had like three or four horn players uh i think there was like nine or ten people on stage right for a producer and uh so 
overnight, we went from having two people on stage to having 10 people on stage. And the first thing, my first, like, just knee-jerk reaction was, let's get rid of the video element. If we're going to be a band, let's look like a band. Let's just do an old-school rock and roll light show. Right? So we ditched, okay. the, we ditched the video walls. We did, the thing that pretty much made us famous, we, you know, we designed this cityscape kind of three-dimensional LED structure that we debuted at Bonnaroo back in, I don't know, 2010 or 2011, whatever, whatever it was, 2011, I think, 20, I don't know. Uh, and so, you know, we very much, very quickly were known for these interesting LED arrays. And then so to just like on the drop of a dime, just be like, get it all off the stage. Fuck it. We're just going to be a light show and a band rock and roll. Right. And I loved it. It was nice. a great ever, but you know, it was a shit ton of lights. I mean, a metric shit ton of lights. There was like a hundred and some odd one ones There was this thing, that thing. There was all this just too much. Right. And, uh, with the, uh, the advent of, BIs, that was kind of the beginning of my freeing of stage clutter. Mm -hmm. Because from within a BI, you've got 36 little lights, right? Or 37 mm -hmm. or whatever it is. And uh, we put a tremendous, this is, this goes to the programming now of like, uh, and really like going deep down some, some wormholes. I had a BI in my house for months and wrote, wrote, the most elaborate chasers like on the touchscreen where it was like, it wasn't a bitmap or it wasn't this thing. Like I would literally write the most complex patterns with these pixels and then I would clone it out, invert it and do all this stuff. Right. So we had this whole like tremendous library of chasers that I can mm -hmm. manipulate so I could update the color, update the speeds, all these different crazy things. But the magic of it was the presets that we wrote for the lenses so that when you do the displays, you could create architecture with all of these chasers. So it wasn't just a bunch of blinking lights. So now all of a sudden, 12 BIs look like 300 Sharpies or, or Spikies or something like that, right? Where mm -hmm. like all of these little individual beams are now creating these elaborate patterns, structural patterns. And that's when the mindset to less is more, let's take advantage of these types of fixtures really put the, the time into the very basic programming again, where it's just like understanding like, okay, if these lens presets are here, this position preset is here. Now, all of a sudden I've got this look that looks like 200 fixtures are on stage, even though there's only 12 or 16 or whatever it was. I don't know. You know? Oh, that's great. Yeah. And that, that slowly began the de-evolution of, of the stage design to the point now where like when the next one happens, we're still not sure when that's going to be. Yeah. There's almost no lights on stage. It's all other stuff, <laughs> but it's a very much that's a, cool. a mind fuck. <laughs> so this actually goes back to something that you had mentioned before that you've basically been able to expand your, your bandwidth enough to realize that even with constraints that's not actually limiting my creativity it sounds like things like budgetary restraints have less effect on you now it sounds like well you only have 12 lights today you're like doesn't doesn't affect me i can still be 
I, as creative with 12 as with 300. Absolutely. And because uh, for me, and I think this kind of goes back to the other thing that I was, I was talking about where I, when I walk into a room, the space, the setting of a concert is hands down the most important aspect of the show for me. I don't care if there are 8 million lunatic fans there. I mean, I do care, right? But like, if let's say, you know, you're on a tour or whatever, and like one night it's a sold-out show, the next night's a half-sold show, right? That does affect you. Mm-hmm. But there are ways to kind of get past that stuff. And there are ways to get past, you know, what your rig is. It's how you use that rig in that space. And so like to that, I, I did a tour with Banks last year. She's a up and coming, you know, kind of alt pop uh, female vocalist. And uh, it was interesting because we had never met. Um, I had never seen her live. Uh, the project kind of fell into my lap. And so I was, I was actually for the first time, I was trying to do a time coded show. And it ended up not working out that way for the better. Um, just, I think inherently because of the way that I kind of approach things, but um it was a small rig. It was, um, it was uh, 24 spikies and uh, some Phenom, the moving head lasers from Lightwave International that I've been using for forever now. They're kind of like my bread and butter mm-hmm. finger at this point. Um, and they're another great kind of thing where it's like, okay, this is a laser, but it's not really a laser. I treat it like a moving headlight. I treat it like a projector. I treat it like a laser. You do all these different things with it, right? And so, um, but, you know, it was a small it was a small rig for what I was used to, you know, and we're doing clubs and theaters. And so to have what is essentially 36 fixtures total and just creating the most amazing shit, because I look at the venues that we're playing. I look at the people that are on stage. The thing that excited me most about that tour was that they danced. There was backup dancers and she's an incredible dancer. And so lighting them and creating all of these different, uh, like kind of scenic, abstract scenic presentations, just using three or four lights, backlighting a dancer or side lighting a dancer and letting them do the work. They're the light show now. And so very much being, um, being malleable to your circumstances, letting, mm-hmm. the, letting the venue kind of dictate the terms, letting the people on stage. That was the first time where I, I worked with people that didn't just stand still, right? Whether it's a band or a producer, they're kind of, you know, they're in their little box and that's where they are. Um, and so, uh, you know, these other outside things influence how I approach each show. Um, and it very much is, a, you know, a breakdown of ego because there isn't any specific thing that I'm trying to do. I don't, I don't, I'm not the guy that's like, if this rig isn't hung this way, these looks aren't going to fucking do da, 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 da. I don't, I don't care. I don't care. If, I mean, I do care if the truss is hung off center, but at the same time, if it isn't, I'll make it work. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. And so for me, it's just very much just like treat every experience as its own unique thing and just try to accentuate every positive thing that you can get out of that. And ah, then, that's and then so refreshing when, to hear and then when the show is done, it disappears. It's gone. Yeah. I don't look back. I don't think about it. And I just move on to the next one. And like, and that's it. You know, people ask me all the time. They're like, you know, do you watch your shows back? And I'm like, never. Cause I can't replicate what was going on. I can't, 
I can't, you know, I was, I joked about this on a, I can't remember. Oh, it was one of my podcasts. I was talking about this and I was like, I was like, you know, all of those things go into play. Right. So like, if it's windy, if it's cloudy, if it's cold, if it's warm, if, if the AC's blowing on me, if the hot dog vendors, you know, 10 feet away from me, whatever, there's all of these outside influences. Right. And like, you cannot, no matter how hard you try, you can't replicate all of the things that are going on around you. So when you go back and you watch your show, especially for somebody like me, right, who is very much a slave to the, to the moment, I can't replicate all those things. So when I go back and I watch it, I'm like, well, that's stupid. Or why the fuck did I do that? And it's like, but in the moment, it's, it's the, it was the right idea. Mm-hmm. But, but the minute the show's over, all of that goes away. And so does all the good and all the bad. Mm-hmm. So I, it's impossible for me to look back on any of that stuff. And so as long as I'm getting positive feedback, I know that I'm doing a good job. If I can walk away from a show happy, which rarely, I mean, I don't want to say it rarely happens, but I usually beat myself up over something, but it's more about like the vibe. It's more about the experience. You know, if I miss something, fuck it, who cares? Like it's not that big of a deal. Um, it's really more about the bigger picture. And so as long as I can walk away feeling like, like that, that was met, that goal was met, then I'm usually pleased with myself. And then I can just move on to the next one. And that's, and that's it. I can't, I'm never going to be the guy that nitpicks his performance or, or thinks he could have done it better if he tried this thing, blah, blah, nah, fuck all that. <laughs> that is impressive. That's really refreshing to hear that because I know there's a lot of people that love to just really tear apart other people's and their own work because they're, they, I think by, in some regards, they understand that they're just beating themselves up, but Maybe they just crave that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's refreshing I, to hear somebody who who doesn't do that. I used to be that way, and but I came to terms with the fact it was it was it was all part of this like kind of self realization, right? When it's like when you when you accept a certain path, right? You accept the fact that okay, because of all of these limitations that I'm experiencing, because of all of these setbacks that I'm experiencing, I'm going to choose to do it a certain way. You have to accept everything else that comes with that, right? And so if you're going to be this open-minded and you're going to be this free in your performances, you can't look back on those performances and critique them to a certain Mm -hmm. regard, right? Because that eliminates the freedom. If you're going to, if you're going to, you know, and, and I say this with all due respect, like I know what I can get away with and what I can't get away with, right? Like there are still limitations. There are still certain aspects. It's like, if I'm just ignoring the one all night, that's not like, that's never going to happen, right? Like I'm still going to, I'm still going to do, there are certain like foundational things that must happen, right? This is more like, it, it's more about the bigger picture. It's more about, you know, all of these things. And understanding that, like, the only way to continue to maintain that is to let go of all of the, all of the other shit. And so looking back and, like, thinking or questioning yourself, right, that's not, that's not, that's counterproductive. Because mm-hmm. if you're going to question yourself looking back on something, then you're going to start questioning yourself when you're in the moment. And that's, and that yeah. completely defeats the purpose of what's happening. Yeah. I fully agree. Uh, let's kind of go over some of the the positive effects, and then after that, let's kind of go into some of the negative effects, if any. Uh, 
what are some of the things that you found outside of design that have kind of changed your life? Like, I would imagine you're a different person before and after. Uh, what are some of the positive effects that you notice that you, you see that maybe other people aren't aware of? Well, uh, you know, it goes, it kind of goes back to that. One of those first stories, right? Where it was like, I had never seen the trees so green. You're, mm-hmm. you're, when you are able to adjust, and I, I use this word specifically, right? Because you're not changing your perspective. You're just slightly adjusting it, right? Mm-hmm. Saturation gets turned up a little bit more. The contrast gets turned up a little bit more. You start to see things in a very, they're all still exactly the same way they were yesterday, but they're ever so slightly adjusted. And so just having that perspective on the world now, and it goes past colors or this thing or that thing, you start to see, you, you just start to see everything around you in, in slightly new ways. And so with all of the traveling that comes with what we do, it's like, you know, when I was, when I was younger, it was just like, Oh, you know, like I want to just, I want to see the tourist things and I want to do this. And then as, you know, as you, as you open your mind up and you, and you start to realize like those things, well, they're great. Like that's not what really matters. Like if you really want to go and experience life and experience culture, you go off the beaten path, you go find the weird shit that's going on somewhere. You might get in a little trouble. You might get in an uncomfortable situation, but that's like, that's living. And that's like really experiencing, you know, the world, you know, like every, I could open a book and be like, well, that's the Eiffel Tower and that's the Louvre and that's that. But it's like, but going down some dark, dirty alleyway, you know, in fr- in Paris and like, you know, maybe almost getting, you know, robbed or maybe you bought some fake drugs or maybe this thing happened or whatever the case may be. But it's like, but that's like, to me, that's really living and that's really experiencing a place. And I think a lot of that mentality came from you know, exploring psychedelics and just being like, all right, what else is out there? Let's try this thing. Let's, you know, cause it, it, it opens, it opens you up mentally, but it also opens you up spiritually in a way where it's like, I want to find the realness in everything around me. And so you, you, you pull back the, the veil and you pull back the, the artificial bullshit that, that, you know, you get slapped in the face with the minute you, you, you get anywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so now, uh, since we've painted such a rosy picture, can, you, can we explore some of the negative side effects outside of a grilled wallet? Uh, so far, the, all I've heard, the only negative side effects I've heard is some, some, some moist trousers and a, and a grilled wallet and maybe a lost Frisbee. You know, okay, so I think when you are in it, right, when you are tripping, there are a lot of detrimental things that can happen. Um, when you open your mind up that much, things can come out that you probably don't want. Oh man. So that's, that's like, that's a great point. That's an easy, that's an easy one, right? Where it's just like, all right, you're going to say some shit that you're probably going to regret. <laughs> use, use the excuse. Well, I was tripping, man. I didn't mean it, but it's like, but really anybody else who knows what the fuck you're talking about knows you actually meant that. Right. Yeah. And yeah. So, so there's that aspect of it, right? You, you might get a little too honest. Right. Oh, and that's yeah. a good thing or a bad thing. Right. But, yeah. um, but 
there is a certain, you know, with the stripping of the ego also uh, is the stripping of a lot of uh, hangups that people have, right? Whether it's fear or whatever. So you, you know, there have been several times where I've put myself in situations that I wouldn't because that, you know, like you're, you're not, you're not using your best sense necessarily, right? There are certain things, there are certain mechanisms in our brain that stop us from doing dumb things, right? And mm-hmm. those same mechanisms that can also hold us up from doing great things, right? So it, it, they work hand in hand. And that is a paradox. It's another paradox that you have to exactly. be aware of. So that's the, those same things happen when you are on psychedelics, right? So if you're trying to tear down those walls to do great things, also accept the fact that you're tearing down the walls that stop you from doing dumb things. Right. And so, yep. <laughs> you know, like, and in my, in my earlier days, like in, in, the, in my younger days of doing this, like there was definitely a lot more of that going on, right? Just putting myself in dumb situations, whatever the case may be. And, you know, saying dumb things, doing dumb things, being reckless, right? And as, you know, I think with experience comes the ability to limit that side of it, right? You know, like as, as you, as you, you know, you're like, okay, I know this is a bad idea. Even though I think it's a good idea, I know it's a bad idea. I'm not going to do that, right? And you can start to have that internal dialogue with yourself. And that's really the most important aspect, I think, of, of experimenting with psychedelics is like as you, if you put the time in, right, the internal dialogue becomes more successful. So while you can present yourself with opportunities, you can present yourself with distractions, you can do all of these different things, right? But you can have that split second moment where you can say, okay, is this really what I want to do? Or is this really a good idea? Or are you a fucking idiot? Don't do that. Right? Like over time that that's how you really begin to craft the experience because while all of these things are presented to you, you at the very least have enough wherewithal to to like check yourself. (laughs) For better or for worse, like sometimes yeah. you, you shouldn't check yourself because you'll judge yourself unfavorably, but sometimes you really too need to check yourself. You're like, man, you're pulling yeah. your pants. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, I know this happens all the time to a lot of people. Do you ever have the feeling you're like, oh boy, I did it. I'm never coming back. I, uh, I did too much. I'm, this is just me now. I'm, I'm, the, I'm this crazy kooky guy who's chasing the moon. Um, I want to say yes, but I honestly don't think that I ever have. And I mean, I'll I'll be totally honest with you. I've definitely pushed the limits enough times, but I always think like somewhere in the back of my mind, I just never bought into that. I guess I know somewhere in the back of my mind, there was always like this little birdie just being like, just don't worry. It will end eventually. Mm-hmm. And so I think with that also came, you know, a certain lack of fear of doing too much <laughs> because, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's like, it's one of those weird things. Like I would, I would imagine maybe at one point I was like, Oh my God, I'm never coming back. But like, 
did I ever really believe it? Probably not. I don't know. I mean, here's the deal. Just don't do too much. Learn your limits. So pace yourself. Like, you know, start here, then just gradually build from there. And you'll never encounter that. At least I don't think you will, you know, Mm -hmm. because it only ever really happens to people that act like assholes. (laughs) They're like, I'm going to eat. I'm going to eat a half a sheet and see how fucking far I can go. Like, I mean, sure. Why not? But like, Uh, that's a great point. Actually, that is another warning that if you're a genuinely good person, you're amplifying that. If you're genuinely an asshole, if when you take psychedelics, you're only going to amplify your assholishness. Absolutely. And that is, I've seen that too many times where, you know, there's just nine people really having a groove and just one asshole can come in and be like, Hey guys, look at what an asshole I am. You know, it's just, and I, ah, that's tough. I've been that guy before. I had a, I had a weird, I, here's a, here's a bad, here's a bad story, I guess. Um, so uh, a bunch of us were going to see Radiohead um, and we, I, th- I can't remember if it was, I think it was my birthday actually. <laughs> and I think that's probably why I acted okay. like because it's like, it's my birthday. This is my, blah, blah, blah. so we had this limo and this whole thing. And like one of my dear friends who's like a little sister to me was hanging out with this fucking idiot. I just hated him, hated him. And, uh, and I couldn't tell you why. I don't even know. She wasn't like her boyfriend. She was just like her little like buddy. Right. And, uh, for whatever reason, I have no idea. I can tell you this much. That was one of the nights that I probably ate more than I needed to. Um, <laughs> it's your birthday. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. But so like, these are those kind of things, right. Where if you get, you know, if you start pounding your chest and you get a little too ahead of yourself, this is when the bad things start to happen. Because right. everything kind of, you know, escalates and it, it becomes self-perpetuating. Um, but so after the show, who the fuck knows? All I, I don't really remember much, but from the stories that have been told to me, I was smashing bottles of vodka inside the limo and creating a very, very ugly scene. All out of the love for this person. And so in my mind, I thought I was doing the right thing, but in turn, I was very much not. And, um, that oh, was, and it's so subjective. Maybe you were, maybe you yeah, were. I, I was trying I, to prove a point. I don't know what that point was other than that guy sucks and you shouldn't be with him. Um, but yeah. So that was, maybe those, you were right. Oh, I was definitely right. Cause they weren't together much longer. But <laughs> <laughs> But, um, was it a self-fulfilling prophecy though we don't we'll never know uh, in the way that i did it that was what was wrong you know because there was, there okay. was like 10 or 12 people there all like you know like hey it's your birthday hey you just went and saw one of your favorite bands yay greg Look stop smashing you. vodka yeah like what the fuck's wrong with you like we're in a limousine <laughs> and you're smashing shit like what the fuck <laughs> so uh, yeah you know it, it, it can go south you know quickly too if you let it <laughs> so it sounds like you're pretty good at uh regulating yourself have you ever had addictive tendencies or, or outside of your psychedelics are you an addictive person do you like soda eating anything like that i you know i go in waves i the only thing that i haven't been able to fucking kick is this stupid nicotine yeah it's a tough one 
one thing. Um, but, I, you know, I have, like, short-term addictions, I guess, maybe. You know, like, okay. I, uh, quarantine has definitely um, not been great for me from a food standpoint. Um, hot Funyuns, Flaming Hot Funyuns, uh, yep. and um, just sugar in general. I mean, that's the Yeah, that's a tough one. I don't, I don't discriminate. It can be chocolate. It can be gummy bears. It can be anything. I don't care. Um, you know, but like at the same time, like my family history uh, was one of addiction. And so I try to be mindful of it. Um, and yeah. like, so like I stopped drinking for all intents and purposes a few years back. Like I'll still have my, I'll still have some social drinks here and there, but like I'd limit it to that basically because I, I think you know, if I were to like sit down and have a glass of wine every night with dinner, it would turn to two, it would turn to three, you know? And so yeah, you know, I am mindful of it and I try to check myself if things are getting to be too much. Um, but I also okay. think, I also think that though with, with psychedelics, see psychedelics aren't addictive by nature, right? I, you know, and I, I feel like there are studies that, that have some supporting evidence to that fact. In fact, I think they've start, started to realize that they actually help break addictions. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, psychedelics aren't like, uh, they aren't a crutch. They're like, uh, what's the best way to put it? I don't know. Because, you know, it's like, if I'm sad or if I'm this thing or if I'm going to sit on the couch and I'm going to eat a bag of Oreos and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, right? Like, that's not that's not how I use psychedelics. So, to More me, like a tool. Yeah, exactly. It's like okay. the, it's like the greatest toolbox ever, and all the tools are inside it. But you don't have to use all of them. You know, it's like, oh, today I'm going to use the screwdriver. Tomorrow I'm going to use the hammer, or whatever. You know. So. Uh, do you also meditate? Um, I've. Started to in very 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 simple terms. Um, okay. When on psychedelics, I find myself um, locked in a dark room for at least ten minutes almost every time that I'm on them, and okay. so I don't know if I'm meditating or what the, what is actually happening most of the time there. But I do end up in that situation um, fairly regularly, and it's not like a bad thing. I just always end up in a dark room by myself for some point in time. I don't know if it's like me pushing the reset button or whatever. Um, but uh, I started going to therapy not too long ago. And so I do these like little, like um, I guess they're called guided meditations or whatever, where mm -hmm. it's like breathe in, breathe out. Like my favorite one, like if you have the calm app, I do. Uh, LeBron James has this great one. And I, I love it because I grew up playing basketball and, uh, Basketball was always a very like uh, um, uh, therapeutic thing for me. Like when my childhood sucked, I would just go play basketball and it like fixed everything. And, uh, and so when I got the call map and like the first thing that I saw was LeBron James guided meditation. I was like, fuck yeah, sign me up. Like, <laughs> I was stoked. <laughs> cool. Do you find that meditation is similar to psychedelics in any way, or is it just a uh, just a small taste of it? What you would hope to accomplish? Um, Are they even comparable? For me, no. They're actually almost the opposite. I find that these guided meditations and any sort of thing that I'm doing from that 
is a way to completely disconnect from my surroundings. I actually think that Got I use psychedelics as a way to to enhance my connections, depending on what the circumstances are. Like almost, interesting. Never, almost never am I intentionally thinking to myself, like, I want to disconnect from the world. I'm going to eat LSD. Like that's actually could be any further from the truth. Like when I'm yeah. eating LSD, I am furthering my connection with music. I am furthering connection with my work. I am furthering my connection with nature. I'm furthering my connections in all of these different facets right now, even though there's this whole concept of disconnecting, right? But that's disconnecting right. internally, right? You're sort of disconnecting internally. So that way you can, further your connection with your surroundings. I think with meditation, I am like disconnecting from everything. I'm trying to go to a black hole when I meditate. <laughs> oh, that's a great, that's a great comparison. I, I've never heard it that way. And that's, uh, it makes a lot of sense to me. You're, uh, you're kind of shutting yourself down and just kind of keeping things quiet Yeah. when you meditate and just trying to compartmentalize a little bit more. Yep. Um, do you have, we're almost, uh, we're all, we're already way over time, but I don't really, uh, we're just going to keep going. Do you have any recommendations or warnings to anybody who's listening that like uh, is currently thinking about it or if they're, they've, they've heard some things and they they want to experiment. What would be your first, let's say, let's say two or three things you would tell that person. Um, first and foremost, get it from people you trust, right? Because, you know, just like any drugs out there, you know, there are good ones and there are bad ones and there are fake ones and there are this ones and that ones. And, and so knowing that you're getting the right thing is a very, very, very important aspect, especially, especially with psychedelic drugs. Um, you know, there's all this like weird designer nonsense out there now, the two CBs and the PC, blah, 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 whatever. I don't even, I don't fuck with any of that stuff. But, um, you know, there, it's, it's very easy to go down a bad road if you don't know what you are taking. Um, so that would be my f- number one. Number two, if you've never done it before, please do it with friends. Um, do it with people. Yeah. Get it from people you trust and do it with people you trust. Trust is a very big thing in the, in, in the beginning um, because mm-hmm. it's a leap of faith. And you, it is. and you have to be able to know that you are not alone when you do make that leap of faith. Uh, I think that's really important. Yeah. And, you know, as you get comfortable, then you can start being a weirdo like me and locking yourself in dark rooms. <laughs> Yeah, the loneliness can get uh, seriously amplified if you're not surrounded by friends. or uh, It's even worse if you're surrounded by people that you don't trust. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and like, it's a weird thing because like for me, especially in the early days, like most of my psychedelic use in the beginnings was around a lot of people. And I don't know if that's necessarily the right way to do it, there isn't a right or wrong way to do it. I think it's just whatever setting you're comfortable in. Um, but I always found for me, it was easier to do it with a lot of people because like if energies shift, you can kind of, you can either like 
you know, you can juke and jive, right? So it's like, all right, well, I don't want to be with these people right now. I'm going to go be with those people, right? Or I'm going to go do this thing. Or, and so like almost having options too. Like if you're in the middle of the woods with three people and if one person, you know, takes a turn for the worse, everybody's got to go down that road with him. There's no escaping that, mm-hmm. right? right? I think for first timers, you know, while also, you know, having up, op- I think having options is also kind of a very helpful way to, to go about it. Because then it's like, not to, not to say you should like leave your friend behind if he's having a bad trip, but like, um, like, you know, for, if you're a first timer, you want to be able to maximize the positives. And so, you know, if it's a, a big group, a concert, uh, big camping trip where there's lots of people or whatever this thing or that thing i think those are like the best the best kind of entryways to uh to seeing what's out there yeah that's a great that's a great way to describe it almost the last question we're getting uh, we're like i said we're way over time but do you think that psychedelics will ever be legalized in our lifetime i know i never thought that marijuana would be legalized but now here i am i'm i live up in canada and it's been federally legalized oh wow Uh, and there's in fact i'm starting to hear mentions of psilocybin and mushrooms being legalized do you think that'll ever happen down in i would imagine georgia would be one of the last states to do it but (laughs) let me tell you before i answer that question (laughs) <laughs> you, got, you got an Italian kid from New York whose whole family grew up in Jersey who then lived in Denver for 10 years, stuck in the South. You want to talk about the black sheep of, of a community. It's been, a, it's been interesting. <laughs> um, I'm starting to find my way down here, but yes, it, they are very slow when it comes to those kind of things. Um, so I think if I... I think that psilocybin was decriminalized in Colorado or maybe just in Denver recently. I heard, I heard. I do know that there is some progress being made there. Now, there are too many, as we are seeing right now in our, whatever you want to call this time, uh, there are too many hands in the cookie jar of the American government, I think, for them to ever federally legalize either marijuana or psychedelics to be quite frank i think it will always be a state-by-state thing um especially in our life now maybe a hundred years from now who the fuck knows but um what i would love to just see at the very least is a more fair um understanding of what these things are because point because you know like we kind of talked about briefly like there is this crazy stigma that essentially was created 70 years ago and then for Mm -hmm. 50 to 60 of those years there was nothing no new information no new it was just this very much this is how it is and this is what it does to you and it will fucking it was just say no that was you should always that should be your default response every time yeah and like you know if there is one thing to be said about the, the, the day and age that we live in is that people are at the very least, or at least most people are at least a little bit more open-minded to those things. Um, mm-hmm. 
And, but I think what the only way that, you know, that true understanding can happen is, is through actual, you know, education and, and throwing away these archaic beliefs that if you eat one hit of acid, you will lose your mind forever. Like that's not going to happen. And you're going to be in the park yelling at birds for the rest of your life. Yeah. I mean, I actually, you know, it's funny you say that I grew up (laughs) in upstate New York and there was, I used to work at this grocery store and there was this big old burly guy. And apparently he used to be a composer of music. And I don't think he was homeless, but he was on the verge of being homeless. But he would hang out in the okay. every day. He would feed the squirrels all day long. And he would come to my grocery store and he would buy like expensive nuts. And he would buy a half gallon of milk. He would chug the half gallon of milk and he'd go back out into the park and he'd feed the squirrels. And, he, and uh, Phil, who we spoke about earlier, in his high school band actually wrote a song called Squirrel Man. And uh, it is a legendary tale of our, now, whether or not it was because of psychedelic drugs or any sort of mental breakdown, who the fuck knows? No, n- none of us ever would actually talk to him, but he was one of those like legendary kind of characters from a small town that you only see in like the movies or you read about in books, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> we actually had that guy in my town. Like it was wild. Um, but uh, it's not going to happen. No. I'll tell you right now, I lost count a long time ago, but I can honestly safely say that I, over the course of many sessions, have probably eaten at least a thousand hits of LSD in my life. Now, that's not to say I've tripped a thousand times, you know, because there are times where I've eaten five hits. There are times when I've eaten three hits, you know, so like I can safely honestly say that in almost 20 years, I've eaten over a thousand hits of acid. I'm still fairly sane and i'm very much a productive member of society so take Mm -hmm. that for what it's worth (laughs) that is sadly never going to make headline news of course not. greg greg ellis functions properly and (laughs) sees trees for the first time will never make a headline (laughs) you know phil who did lsd one time in college murders family that's what makes the headlines that is what makes the headlines absolutely and you, you know, know and it has nothing the two don't necessarily connect no, of course but not. at the same time it's gonna come up in the headline like hey you know mr x did lsd <laughs> one time and now he uh got an ar-15 and shot up a bunch of people what that doesn't that doesn't necessarily follow that's pretty non sequitur there but it makes great headlines Absolutely. Well, and that's that's like kind of a bigger, um, uh, you know, issue with the media in general. Yeah, they're not so much of what we're experiencing right now is 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 like it's a product of the of the media producing media based on numbers and profits as opposed to what is legitimate news and what is actually going to help society. Yeah. Uh, and I would love to go down that rabbit hole with you, but uh, yeah, we don't need to dig any deeper there. That's, uh, that's a whole. Next time, uh, give us a week, and I'll be on your podcast, and we'll we'll go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> let's end this with uh, on a high note. Let's hear one of your better feelings, one of your better atmospheres that you've either created or been a part of on on a trip. One of the, the ones that's just like. 
for me, it would be the, the trees applauding me one time. Uh, what's, what's one of your, your favorite moments you like every time you, you, you're maybe the, your white dragon, I guess, the one that you're always chasing to get back to. Like, man, that was an, a, a magical moment of my life. So, okay. I've, I've got one that stands out in my mind. And there's, the only reason it stands out in my mind is because there was this picture that was somehow magically taken. So years ago, I used to tour with this band called Psychedelic Breakfast. Uh, they were a small jam band out of uh, New Haven, Connecticut. Great name. Yeah. And uh, we used to go play down in Asbury Park. I can't, it wasn't the Stone Pony. It was this smaller venue. It was like this little shithole that held like 200 people. Um, but uh, we would go hang out on the beach afterwards. And we would, you know, every time we would just, you know, see the sunrise. And me... And uh, a few of the other guys in the crew, we had this moment once where we were all, just, it was a beautiful sunrise, and there was this one seagull that, like, for whatever reason, I think we were all kind of separated at one point, but we all were watching this one bird. And then as we kind of came together, the bird kind of stuck with us. And then somebody else, I can't remember if they were behind us or if they were in the hotel watching us, captured this moment. So it's this beautiful sunrise, it's three friends, and it's this fucking bird. And we were like so enamored with this bird. And then we got the picture and we were like, how the, and this was before cell phones. So this was like, or, or this was like before cell phone cameras, I guess. So this was like a real camera. That somebody got this picture with and we were like how the fuck did you know <laughs> that we were dealing with this bird for the last two hours it's like well we were just watching you guys and we could tell that you were fucking chasing this bird around or whatever i don't know but either way like th that picture still exists it's actually sitting uh my best friend steven jenkarelli um owns a liquor store in uh seymour connecticut and if you go visit Mountain Road Wine and Liquor, he's got the picture hanging up behind the behind the cash register. There. <laughs> this is one of those cases where the photo actually captured, captured everything that was going on. Yeah, and that's very rare. Very that is rare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got a lot of photos of my face in the mirror, going like that's that's not right. That's not what was supposed to be in that photo. That's great. That is, uh, that is a great way to end the story. Uh, so if anybody's, to all the people that are listening, and this is something that Greg and I, we, we pre-discussed this one, and this is, it's a, this is definitely just personal experiences. We are not advocates in any way other than the fact that it, for us personally, this is a topic that needs to be discussed. And if there, there are a lot of people out there that are, kind of thinking like, man, maybe I'm stuck in a rut. Maybe what I've been doing and banging my head against the wall isn't working. Maybe there's something out there that can help me see things from a different perspective or even see the same things more deeply. Uh, if, you're, if you're one of those persons, feel free to reach out to Greg and, and kind of have that yeah. discussion because it, it's worth discussing. Absolutely. My, my, uh, my DMs are open if you want to talk about anything. <laughs> I will definitely put a link to Greg's website in the, in the, in the show notes, uh, thephebuscartel.com. 
is a great way to reach out to Greg. I would imagine you also have a social, social yeah. uh, awareness, uh, I've social got, presence. Yeah, Instagram is the big one for me. I think any of us visual artists, you know, we kind of gravitate towards Instagram. You know, mm-hmm. through pictures, it's easy. Uh, you and you get to cut out all the bullshit that exists on Facebook and Twitter. So, uh, the Phoebus Cartel, and then also the Laser Shark, uh, Laser with a Z. Um, those are my two accounts. Uh, one is more based on kind of my production work. And then the other is kind of based on my art work. Um, so try to separate, you know, the two worlds a little bit, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm easy to find. And uh, I'm very open to, uh, you know, furthering these conversations with anybody who'd like to have them. Thank you so much, Greg. I really appreciate you taking the, the hour and a half to sit and chat with me. Yeah, thank you. It's been a blast.